welcome back to From Her Point of View for our September show. With us, we have Ruby Dale Harden, who is a close family friend, stand-in grandmother slash mentor, just really everything you can imagine to me uh, and to my husband and my husband's family. Welcome, Ruby Dale. Thank you, Brooke. I'm delighted to be here. So tell us a little bit about your life, because I know about your life, but your your journey from Fulton to Tupelo. And just give us a brief recap, because you, you've had a lot of things happen in your life. You've done a lot of cool things. So hit the high points for us. I want people to understand who you are. Well, <clears throat> I must say that it's hard to do a brief recap on <laughs> such a long life. <laughs> I have done an awful lot of different things during my life. Um, I grew up in Fulton, Mississippi, where my father was the editor and publisher and owner of the Etowama County Times. But during my growing up years, my first love was music. And I just, that's all I wanted to do. I was a piano player in the band. Um, My undergraduate degree is in instrumental music education. Some people don't know that because my life goal at that time was to be a high school band director. Well, I did that. And... um, After that, I ended up moving to Andalusia, Alabama, where I became um, a teacher, which was unexpected, but I couldn't find a band job. My husband happened to find a band job there, and I was going to try to find one too, and there wasn't one available, and I started teaching at the community college there, and I did that for eight years. It was a wonderful time of my life. I was very involved with the Student Government Association and... Uh, started a fine arts council and we had wonderful wonderful I mean it was just a great time I was actually teaching psychology and sociology I did not know that at one point of my career I taught all of the psychology sociology and music at the community college now it was a brand new school so I started there six months after it had or after the first semester so we were just beginning to grow so I just uh, happened to get the job was very fortunate because I needed a job and turns out that I really loved it but my father passed away in 1977 and I came home and I was going to um operate the family newspaper in Fulton at Oumba County Times for three years, and then we would sell it. And after 30 years, um, I actually did sell the paper. But uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time there. I loved it so much, but my true reason for not wanting to get out of the business after three years is I still felt like I had so much to learn. I hadn't done it as well as I thought it could be done, so... I decided I want to keep doing this and see if I can get better and better and was very fortunate to have someone on my staff who you know very well, your father-in-law, Barry Burleson, uh, along with a lot of other just amazing, wonderful people who I loved so much. And we, we had a great team, had a great run and enjoyed it. After that, I became the manager of community newspapers for the Daily Journal. So I was in charge of overseeing the operations of all of the weeklies that the journal owned. At that time, I did that for about five years. And then after that, um, I resigned from that position and went to work 
at my printing company. I had started the printing company many years before in 1988. It's the name of the printing company is Sprint Print, and it's still in operation today. And uh, very proud of the longevity and success of that company. But after I quit working for the journal, I had a lot of extra time, and I got enamored with a new hobby. I'd never had time for a hobby when I was in the newspaper business because I worked from can to can't, and, but I'd always wanted to learn how to dance. When I was a little kid, my mother, my grandmother was very, very religious and thought that dancing was not okay. And so I had always wanted to learn to dance. And even when I was in my 50s, I was 57 at the time, and my best friend told me to quit complaining about it and start dancing. So I couldn't figure out what to do about the dancing. And so I thought and thought, and she thought and thought, and finally we came up with maybe you could try ballroom dancing. And because of my love for music, um, I think that's where the, the... the joy from the ballroom dancing comes. I, I love the music and, you know, with marching band back when I was a high school band director and the arts and everything that I've always been interested in, even when I was doing other things, that was kind of my avocation was to support the arts. It just became such a wonderful hobby and it was good for me physically and mentally and spiritually and emotionally and um, did I say mentally? I mean, it's, it's just all around good for me. So I started looking for ways that I could um, bring ballroom dancing to other people. Whatever their need at the time, it's just a way to, it's a good, clean, fun where you get exercise and meet fabulous people. And so I got really involved in that. And as a turn of events, it wasn't intended. It was just one of those things that happens in one's life that you don't expect, very serendipitous, was um, I ended up owning a dance studio in Tupelo. So the way that happened was that the gentleman who was in town that wanted to start a studio uh, actually rented space from me for the studio. And he decides to leave, but the people who were working for him wanted to stay. And they said, but we don't want to own it. Well, you don't know anything about taxes and so on and so forth. Why don't you just own it and we'll run it? So that's the way it is to today. Now, the same people are not here. I'm very, very fortunate uh, to have a great manager at the Ballroom Dance Studio, Tammy Wilson, who runs the studio and she has three dance professionals who work for her. And we teach in Tupelo, Oxford, Columbus. And um, it's been, it's great. We, and and I, I am kind of in charge of our special events. But I'd be remiss to not say that the reason I have time to work on those special events is because I have such a great manager at um, Sprint Print, Teresa Floyd, who's been with me since she was in high school. And she is, so she's celebrating her 30th year with me this month, actually. So you've got two businesses right next to each other. And both of them seem to have developed from just kind of looking back at your life, as you've described it, from your childhood passions. Even though maybe the newspaper business was your dad's passion, you kind of fell into that passion as well. But it seems very full circle, your love for music 
led you to own the the as a child led you to own the ballroom studio and then your exposure from the time I'm assuming you were old enough to remember to the newspaper kind of trickled you into sprint print and then now here you are absolutely full circle you you summed (laughs) it up very well Brooke um I think that the the thing that appealed to me most about the newspaper business was the community service aspect because I feel like that really good newspapers do just that yes they provide news they provide opportunities for advertisers but they also serve an incredibly important role in the community to report on all of the good things that the community is doing. My dad used to say that he thought that if your community was 80, 90% good, that your newspaper should report on that because that's what makes a community proud and that's what gives young people in that community an opportunity to emulate those people who uh, are role models. So he was very, very careful to, yes, report all of the news, but he tried to keep the balance to reflect the community and also to support and build and encourage those people in the community who were doing great things. And speaking of doing great things, and I feel like this, you, I didn't know your father, obviously. I wasn't around at the time when he was alive, but your passion for community service and being a positive light in the community seems to have trickled down from your family and your upbringing. And you are involved in many different organizations and programs in the area that specifically, as you said before, are involved with the arts. So tell us a little bit about dance in schools that you are a a very big and prominent champion for that allows for kids in the area to have the opportunity to dance. Tell us a little bit about it. And also, you can go ahead and plug the fundraiser that's coming up in a few weeks. It will be available for anybody to support. I will absolutely do that. But before I do that, Brooke, I want to say just a couple of things about my parents. Okay. Go ahead. My dad, because it's very relevant to my answering the question, my dad believed that the newspaper should create a community in which it could thrive. And my mom was the kind of person who said, if you live in a community and it doesn't have something that you want in the community in which you live, then do it, create it. So a great example of that was when mother and daddy bought the newspaper in 1945, there was no library in Itawamba County. And mother was like, I'm not going to live in a county that doesn't have a library. So she started one. <laughs> so that's how the Edwamba County Library started. It's because mother said, I'm not going to live here if we don't have a library. So she got people from all over the county to donate books. We actually had the library in one of the rooms at the Edwamba County Times for the first few years. And she created a liaison with the Tupelo, the Lee County Library, and... Um, made it happen and so that's kind of my background is mm-hmm. like if you if you would if you want to see something in your community that's not there instead of sitting back on your 
whatever, and saying they <laughs> need to do this and they need to do that. Those were words that we were not allowed to say. If it's important enough to you, you need to do it or, or get involved and make it happen. So that's part of my um, passion for it, what I'm doing now, which is dance in the schools. So as I said earlier, I was a very unhappy child when I didn't get to take dance lessons growing up, and all my little friends could, and I was would stand there and watch them take dance lessons and cry, you know, or <laughs> feel like crying, and it's like, oh, why can't I take dance lessons? I don't want any kids to not have the opportunity to take dance lessons, so that's my passion for that. And uh, yes, it's fun as a hobby, and yes, I love to dance, because it's, fun, it's good for me. I say that's what's keeping me going, what's keeping me young. But even more importantly, I feel like that we need as a community to offer this to kids who don't have the opportunity or the resources to do it otherwise. Um, so two of our champions who have really worked with us from the beginning, one is Dr. Lindsay Brett, mm-hmm. who is the principal at Plannersville, and she is a miracle worker. But she helped us get the Dance in the Schools program started. And then Pam Moran at Shannon jumped on board. And Plannersville and Shannon were our very first two schools that participated. And now we have um, schools in the Lee County and Tupelo Public Schools. So we're real excited about that. We also have classes at Longdale and at Longhorn this year. So we are, we're doubling our exposure so that's really really wonderful and, and you've got to you've got to have the funds to do it we absolutely have to have the funds to do that and our fundraiser which we have once a year is called dancing with the king now obviously the inspiration for the name is none other than Tupelo's native son Elvis Presley because if you think about Elvis's music when he started writing bebop music, and, and a lot of people learned to dance to his music. So it was the first kind of rockabilly, soul, com- combined as soul and rock, and so on and so forth. That was really fun, danceable music that in the 50s and 60s people bopped to or did other kinds of dance to his music. So really, he's responsible for beginning a movement that not only changed the face of music but also uh, also dance and we think it's really exciting to dance to Elvis's music uh, in Elvis's hometown so that's why we called uh, Dancing with the King duh Dancing with the (laughs) King so what we do in that weekend is we work really hard to raise enough money to do two things. Number one, we raise money for our Dance in the Schools program, and we also raise money to give scholarships to young people to attend Dancing with the King. So our vision when we first came up with Dancing with the King was this. Just like the kids in the schools may not have the resources to take dance lessons, A lot of the kids throughout the region 
don't have the kind of money that it takes to go to dance competitions, uh, dance performances, and to be exposed to all of that. So we created a weekend that, that kind of is a, it offers everything you could want. So we have performances, we have workshops, we have competitions, we have social dancing, we have dinners, we have all sorts of exciting things that kids can actually get their registration paid for the entire weekend if they will agree to come and participate in all of the activities. So that is the, the whole goal is to raise enough money to scholarship kids and to raise enough money to support dance in the schools. Now, many of our schools that we work with, I need to say, they also have arts education or they have, they have arts money. So very often they pay all or a portion of what it costs to do the classes. But many of the classes are totally supported from the funds that we raise. Some of them are partially Right. supported but the more money we raise the more classes we can offer so and the event is october the, it's the last weekend in october okay it so halloween weekend halloween weekend the 28th 29th and 30th but i need to tell you about the most historic thing that we're doing that weekend this is literally a first time ever event i mean not first time ever event but it is part of the dancing with the king weekend that Nobody's ever done this before, not just at Dancing with the King, but ever. So, drum roll. Drum roll, please. (laughs) So, on Saturday afternoon, we're taking all of our dancers who've come with for the weekend, including all of these kids that have scholarships, out to Elvis's birthplace. And we're going to have lunch out there. And Roy Turner, who's just doing an absolutely smashingly fabulous job as director of the birthplace, he is, he's just so gracious, and, and we're so excited about him being there. But he is um, helping us to make sure that people who go as part of our group will get to have tours, and we're going to have lunch. But for two hours, Saturday afternoon on the 29th, our world champion dancers who are coming in for the weekend from Phoenix, Jim and Janelle Moranto, are going to teach a Elvis, a swing routine to Elvis's music at Elvis's birthplace, which we will then perform that night. And I don't, I'm, I'm, I think I can be 100% sure that no one's ever taught a swing routine to Elvis's music at his birthplace that's going to be performed. And I think it's it's just going to be so much fun. And it's, it's going to be really cool to do something that has never, ever been done before. So often we're doing, we're reinventing the wheel. We're doing similar things and so on and so forth. But we have our own twist on it. But for this one, this is brand new, something that... Has never. Said, how many times have I said has never? Been I know, done <laughs> never, never been done before. <laughs> so people can buy tickets for the event to mm-hmm. go and watch. Yes, uh, for the Saturday event, right? Or for the whole weekend, actually. You can buy a package for the entire weekend. Yes, you might not want to buy a package for the entire weekend unless you are a ballroom dancer. Okay, uh, and I'll explain that 
so that I can be real clear about it. But when I say ballroom, a lot of people think stuffy, stuffy, waltz, foxtrot, you know, people all dressed up and so on and so forth. Well, we do that, but that is just a small part of what we do because we do swing dancing, salsa, Latin dancing, swing dancing. So we do, uh, that's kind of a generic, we use it generically to encompass every bit of it. If you are a ballroom dancer, your best bet is to buy a package. That's mm-hmm. the cheapest way or least expensive right. way to do it. Um, but if you are a member of the community and you're not a regular dancer, the opportunities that I think would be the most interesting for you is to come on Friday night and you'll see two different dance competitions. One is preteens dancing to Elvis's music, and it's always so cute. And then we have our celebrity dancers this year who their goal as celebrity dancers is to learn a routine to Elvis's music and to raise 5000 or more dollars that goes directly into the Dance in the Schools program. So that is their mission, mm-hmm. and we have nine people this year who are working each week with their uh, dance studio pro to learn their dance routine so that's going to be super fun um then saturday night there's going to be um dinner dance that mm-hmm. i think people would be interested in coming to um we're going to do the routine we learned that that afternoon to elvis's music but there are also going to be a lot of other performances including our world champion dancers from Phoenix will be the very last number in the show, and they're going to That's do amazing. a beautiful waltz for us. And it's it's worth the price of admission yeah. to see them dance. And it's benefiting, or you know, the whole weekend in itself is benefiting the arts, and especially the arts in Tupelo and Lee, Lee County. Lee County, yes. So, so now the to buy the tickets, you just go to dancingwiththeking.com, okay. dancingwiththeking.com, and if you have any questions about how to get the tickets after you get to the website there's a number there that you can call and somebody will walk you through it very good so switching gears I want to go back to so we've talked all about your community involvement which is a long long list of the many things that you do for the Tupelo area Lee County area really just the North Mississippi general region but I want you to kind of reflect a little bit on and and let our listeners hear a little bit about what it was like being, you know, a female entrepreneur in many different ways, you know, running the newspaper, being the head of a newspaper that was very well established and being a female in that role and then transitioning to being a two-time business owner at simultaneous business, two, two businesses at the same time is what I'm trying to say, uh, business owner now. I mean, you just have kind of been a trailblazer since the get-go, and I think anybody that knows you knows that. But what it was what was that like starting out with the newspaper and then kind of coming into 2022 having two businesses now uh, that you live in Tupelo and that you've, you know, relocated your life? Years and years ago. But anyway, give us a little bit of reflection on that. We like to cover those topics every time we, we speak with our guests. Well, I, I would go back to when I was band director because it's not uncommon now for females to be band directors. But when I was a band director, it was very uncommon. There were um, a couple of high school band directors that I knew who were female. One of them from our area who's very well known in um, 
fabulous Carol Allen. She was like the trailblazer, one of the very first, and she was amazing. But I was one of the few female band directors that in the state of Mississippi back in the 1960s, early 70s. So that tells you a little bit about how old I am, <laughs> which is good because I'm still going strong. So That's right. I'm happy about that. Um, and then when I came back to the newspaper, I had to learn a whole new career. Yes, I worked at the paper when I was growing up. I loved being there. I mean, if I wasn't at the band hall, I was at the newspaper. So I, I loved it. I wrote a column. I think it was Tots and Teens or some other <laughs> commonly used um, columnist for a kid to write about their friends. Uh, I was also the photographer for the newspaper and did everything. I mean, you, if you worked at a community newspaper, you learned to do it all. And Daddy always told me, you've got to work harder than anybody else because they've got to see that you're not – if you want them to respect you – They've got to see that you don't get favoritism. Mm-hmm. You got to work just as hard as the guys in the back shop when you're in certain papers, and you got to stay just as long. And if you in, and I, he would always say, "Don't let me come through the back shop seeing you sitting around. If you can't find anything else to do, grab a broom." Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I was, I mean, I was brought up like, you know, you will not be lazy and be here. Or I'll send you home. Right. So, so that's what I did all my growing up years. Um, but I still had an awful lot to learn. I didn't know anything about running a business. I knew how to run a band. I knew how to teach college. I knew how to run an arts council, but I didn't know how to run a business. And I was very fortunate. I, I will always vow and declare that I was so blessed. Ruth Howell, who had started to work from for my daddy when my mother was pregnant with my younger sister like that's I was eight years old when she started working for daddy so she was still there when I came back and she knew all of the business mm-hmm. side so I didn't have to worry about that yet I did have to start learning about it but I wasn't like overwhelmed with it I wasn't overwhelmed with it so I was able to concentrate on learning the other parts and um so I also knew the community service piece I understood that but it was just the actual how do you how do you um run a printing plant and how do you run a newspaper right so I was uh I had to be a quick study fortunately we had good people there um that knew more than I did and were generous and kind and helped me learn. You know, I'd say, all right, how do we do this, Jerry Roberts, or how do we do this? Um, You know, whoever, Robert Shamley, um, Mike Bennett, I mean, how do we do this? You know, they'd show me. And so I just had to ask for help. And so that's one of the things I think that makes you – appreciate is you know you have to be humble and you have to know what you don't know and have to ask people to help you learn it so I started learning when it came to the newspaper business um I got really really fortunate um really fortunate I was the second female that was ever on the board of directors of the Mississippi Press Association 
and Sid Salter and Gail Denley, the late Gail Denley, are the people who made that happen. Mm-hmm. And when I got on the board, you stay, you serve on the, I got on the board really soon after I came back, have no idea. I guess they couldn't figure out anybody else and <laughs> put me on it. Um, but I was learning, so I got to learn a lot from all these published, seasoned publishers I was on the board with, which was really cool. And I want to say something else about that, about the woman's role. But um, they were looking for someone to be chairman of the workshop committee. And that person was going to figure out what kind of workshops we needed and, you know, get the people to come in and do the workshops and kind of host, be the hostess, in my case, for the people who were there. So I thought, I want to do that. I volunteered really quick because why? Yeah. Well, we needed to have the <laughs> workshops of stuff. I didn't know how to yeah, do. Yeah, you could figure it out. I figured nobody else knew either, or they would need it too. So we just had all these workshops, and I'd get these people to come uh, in to teach me and everybody else. And everybody <laughs> thought it was great because they, we got good stuff. But I was like, okay, I don't know anything about so-and-so. Let's have a workshop on so-and-so. <laughs> so that was fun. The other thing that I, as I was on the board for a while, apparently they thought I was doing a pretty good job, so I ended up getting on the ladder to become president. Well, I had been, um, I had started along with some other people. I can't take, absolutely cannot take 100% credit with, for this, but I started the Leadership at Wamba program, and the people in Monroe County wanted me to become the facilitator for their program. But I told him I couldn't do it until after I had served as president of the Mississippi Press Association. And the reason was I knew that as president, I would be under scrutiny in a different way than a guy would back then. Because if Sammy, made up name, didn't do a good job, they'd say, oh, well, you know, Sammy didn't do a good job. But if Rubydale didn't, they'd say we should have never elected a woman. Right. I could not have that happen because I was responsible for opportunities for other females that would come after me, and they had to not be scared to get a woman because the woman they had did a good job. So I wanted to 100% focus on trying to um, make sure that I didn't, that I, paved the road instead of putting mm-hmm. up barricades right so were you the did you say you were the first second the second president of mm-hmm. the mississippi second female female president mm-hmm. of the mississippi press association right that's a that's it's reflecting now from 2022 it's kind of a sad reality to think of that you had to be so meticulous about it but you had to do what you had to do at the time yeah. and as you said i mean in today's world it wouldn't be as much of a difference, you know, if, you know, insert man's name or insert woman's name didn't do a good job. But at that time, like you said, you have to lead the way, you had to lead the way. And, you know, you had to make sure that the path was clear for whoever came behind you that was also a woman that could do that job. I agree, Brooke, but I still think we have that responsibility. Um, I really believe that... There are two things that we as females 
need to do. And one is to set the example that being female does not keep us from being fabulous at whatever we do. The other thing that I have seen in my lifetime is that some women would get to a higher position and then they wouldn't help other women because they wanted to be the woman. Right. So they didn't turn around and try to pave the way for other women. Now, having said that, I want to be real clear that one, one of the things that I did is I've started a lot of programs, leadership programs, um, management programs, just self-development programs for women as well. And one of the things I say to them is I do not believe that you should get special treatment because you're a female. Just like I don't think men should get special treatment because they're a man. Right. It, 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 it's got to be fair. Um, because let's say that I say, well, we need a female in this role, but you're not as qualified, and I put you in the role and you don't do a good job, then that hurts women mm -hmm. in the long run. Right. So I think what I tried to do with women and, and all of the work that I've done in that area is I've tried to say, if you want to do it, equip yourself to be fabulous so that when you get there, they won't regret having hired you and you'll right. pave the way. You can't, you can't say I want special favors. Mm -hmm. Now you can, people do it all the time, but I just don't think that that's the best approach because I think we need to, we can't say I want the job, but I'm not willing to do this, this, right. and this. If you want it, you're going to have to suck it up. Figure <laughs> out whether you want it or not. And if you want it, my, my thing is, if you want something, figure out what you're going to need to do to do it. And if you're not willing to do that, then don't complain if you don't get it. Right. It's just not right. So um, I went to a workshop one time, and it was many years ago, and it was real weird that I even ended up going to this workshop, but I was so captivated by the title I decided to go. And it was a workshop by a woman who was the first, a first vice president for International Harvester. And the workshop was for women to, to teach, to tell women how she got to that high of a level in that field. And the women there kept raising their hands saying, yes, but that's not fair, yes, but that's not fair. And finally she just walked to the front of the stage and said, wait a minute. You didn't come here, pay this money to find out whether this was fair or not. You are, you already knew it wasn't fair. Mm -hmm. You f came to this workshop to find out how to do it. And she said, so figure out what you want to have happen, what, where you want to go, what you want to do, and what you're going to have to do to get there. And if it's not illegal, immoral, or unethical, do it or quit bitching about it. There you go. That's the truth. So with that being said, and as we're kind of wrapping up our time, what is, because you have had such a influential part in so many women's lives and you have, you have lent, you've, you've lended your hand to help those women behind you to come up and to not only maybe take your place, but to exceed your place in organizations you've been a part of, in the fields that you've been involved with, what is your best piece of advice 
for women in 2022? And it doesn't have to be constricted to 2022, but just because that's the year we're in. (laughs) Well, I would say the same thing that Sharon Crane said to us all those years ago. We are 100% responsible for our parts in everything. So if there's something you want to do, just set your mind to it and, and go for it and enjoy the journey. I've, I've always felt like that the most important thing I could do is to be enthusiastic, to be joyful, to be responsible, to be loving, to be kind, be mindful, and to, you know, have a plan. And do it one step at a time. Just go forward. And if it's not meant to be, you know, I'm sure that it won't be. It's kind of like do what's in front of you and leave the results up to God and whatever happens was his will for you. You know, it's like, but you can't sit there and wait. You know, you just go for it. The so, worst thing that can happen is yeah, you fail and then you just try again. <laughs> well, you learn from it. See, this is, this is the most, maybe the most important thing you just said, Brooke, is that sometimes people just quit when, they, when something doesn't work out. And that's exactly the wrong, that's exactly the opposite of what we need to do. If something doesn't work out, then we look at, well, why did that not work out? Does that mean I was supposed to have taken a different path or did I, what, where did I mess up there? We learn as much from our mistakes often more mm-hmm. than we do from our successes. So we're all here together. Um, we're just all here to learn. Um, I think it's important to never put ourselves above another person because we can learn from everybody. That's true. You know, you, you can learn what to do, learn what not to do. My mother taught me, told me a really funny story or this is a funny story about my mother, actually. When I think I was in the third grade, I think I didn't like my teacher, and I came home, and I said, Mother, can you have them switch me to another room? And she said, Why? And I said, Well, I don't think so-and-so. Don't even remember the lady's name. I don't think she's a very good teacher. And she says, Oh, well, that's great. And I said, What's great about it? And she said, Well, didn't you tell me that you think you may want to be a teacher? (laughs) <laughs> and I said, yes. And she says, well, good. This year you can analyze what she's doing that you think doesn't work so that you can be sure to remember when you're a teacher not to do those things. <laughs> and I said, thanks a lot, Mom. <laughs> but that's true is that we can always learn something from everybody, positive, negative. Why, why does that not work? And the other thing is, if somebody's doing something we don't like, the first thing we need to do is say, do I ever do that? Right. You know, look back at ourselves and just enjoy the journey. So many people think, oh, I'll be happy when blah, 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 some big deal. need to be happy every day. Look for something that brings you joy every single day. Enjoy the journey. Amen. That's a great word to end on. Not amen, but enjoy the journey. <laughs> I mean, amen is too. Amen is a good ending too. <laughs> but Ruby Dale is a influential, like I said before, she's such an influential person in my life. We call ourselves kindred spirits. Uh, we have very similar interests. And from the moment we met, I think we kind of figured that out. 
that, you know, the rest of the family would just kind of have to catch up to us. <laughs> and I think that we've kind of set that standard. But thank you for being here. And you're just a powerful woman and, and somebody that so many women and men, but women in particular, look up to in the community. And you're still rocking and rolling. And you've got, you're still operating two businesses. And if, if there's anybody in this world that doesn't slow down, it is Ruby Dale Harden. That's the truth. But thank you for being here. I appreciate you taking this time to let our listeners learn a little bit about who you are. And we will catch you next time on From Her Point of View.